Uh, please turn in your Bibles or your Bible apps to uh, Luke chapter 10. Um, that's where I'm going to be preaching from this week, uh, Luke 10. So I've said this before, and I'll say this again. I say it all the time. I, I love a good question. I do. I love like a well-thought-out, well-prepared question. Um, I, I actually kind of even like being stumped a little where I'm like, great question. Let me think on that for a second. I don't have some pat answer for you. You know, let me let me think about that. I love watching talk shows where that the the celebrities on the show and they get asked a, a really deep question like that and they just praise the you know the facilitator and they go, "Oh my gosh, great question." Um and you can tell it's not just so tell me about your funniest moments with mashed potatoes. And it's like, what? I don't, what? Come on. But something deep and rich. Jesus loves good questions too. He loves a good question from us. Something that's that's thought out, that's intentional. And we're going to see today that Jesus also asks really good questions. So I want to read Luke chapter 10, uh, 25 through 28, and then I'm going to break it down uh, verse by verse. Luke 10, 25. And behold, a lawyer, uh, an expert in the Jewish religious law, stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he, the expert, answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. The first thing we see here is an important question. Verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? We see this expert in Jewish law, but we also see that he's not very sincere. We see that his motives are not very pure. He wants to put Jesus to the test. He wants to find out whether or not Jesus is capable of handling tricky questions. Um, it's interesting. When we look at Scripture and we're just patient with it, we don't just fly through it for the sake of a, a, a achieving a numeric amount of time spent in the Word, but we actually just chew on it. We see really interesting things. We see this guy, this expert, this lawyer, this scholar, stand up and ask a question for the purpose of tricking Jesus. Now, before we judge this man too harshly, let me fill you in on what his name was. His name was Mark. Or, actually, maybe it was Kara. Or Andy. Or Eleanor. Or Andy. If we're honest... There's times that we come to Jesus and we're not always completely sincere. 
There's times we come to Jesus and we're snarky. There's times we come to Jesus and we are passive aggressive. There are times we come to Jesus and we're sarcastic. Because we're flawed. Because we're not perfect. I tell you what I do like. I like the fact that he's dialoguing with Jesus. And I like the fact that Jesus dialogues back. Even if we're not in the the best place emotionally, even if we're in a place where we might be a little snarky or a little angry or whatever that emotion might be, I tell you what I like is coming to Jesus, talking to Jesus. I don't know that you and I are so different from this man. Finding out, can can Jesus handle our tricky situations? Can he handle our complicated lives? Can he handle our mess? Because we're messy. Let's get back to this important question. It's a question about inheriting eternal life. Even though this man has bad motives, it's still an important question that he asks. And here's what I love. Even though Jesus discerns that this guy's asking it with bad motives. Even, even though he's in operation of the gifts of the Spirit and he sees this man's intentions to trick him up, what, is, what does Jesus still do? He answers. He answers because it's a good question. He answers for the sake of his disciples. He answers for the sake of the others that are listening and he answers for the sake of this kind of snarky man. It's important that we understand this question of inheriting eternal life. It's not the same question as him asking about justification by faith. If he were to ask Jesus, what must I do to be saved? The answer is simple. Believe in me. Trust in me. That's the response to if he's asking about about salvation, about justification by faith. But that is not what he's doing. When someone asks us, what do I have to do to be saved? Our answer is simple. Believe in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Salvation is given without the law, without religion, to all who believe. Justification, which is being made in right standing with God, being made right with God, it's given on the spot, without pretense, without jumping through hoops, without cleaning yourself up, without making yourself presentable, without cleaning up your mess. Justification is given to everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus. I I tell you, I, I... little mini-sermon within the sermon, but I love the, the partnership of justification and sanctification. Friends, when we come to, to Jesus and we say, I need you, I'm lost, I'm sinful, save me. We are, we are justified at that moment. We are saved at that moment. Now, at that moment, we might still have bad habits. At that moment, we might still have bad friends. At that moment, we might still have bad influences, whatever. 
But at that moment, we are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then we walk with the Holy Spirit in this work of sanctification as we hourly and daily and weekly become more and more like Jesus. And and there's things he says, hey, will you give this to me? Will you give this relationship to me? Will you give this habit to me? Will you give this doubt to me, this fear to me? And we walk and we're daily being sanctified with the Holy Spirit there to empower us. It's a beautiful thing. Romans 3, 21 and 22 says this. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him, to be justified without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. But this question of inheriting eternal life is a bigger matter than simply this experience that, uh, of salvation, that first step that we took in, in kingdom life once we trusted in God. This lawyer is not asking about justification. He's asking about something different. And this scholar of the law, this asker of good questions, uses a very key phrase. Receive my inheritance. And it's not a tricky phrase. It means exactly what it sounds like. That word to inherit, it's to be an heir, to inherit, to receive an inheritance. It's not tricky. That part of his question is pretty straightforward. What this man is asking is what must I do to get everything from God that he wants to give me? Young people, can I have your eyes for a second? That last phrase. What he's asking, what, Lord, what do I have to do to get everything you have for me? Everything you want to give me, I want it. I want to walk in it. Asked from a sincere and a hungry heart. This is a great question. Asked from a cynical heart that is trying to trick, question, trick Jesus. This is a bad question. I'll tell you right now what matters is the condition of our heart. The condition of our heart matters. What must I do to get everything that God wants to give me? This man, he, he, takes, he takes it for obvious granted that this inheriting eternal life will begin immediately and it will involve doing. What do I have to do? And Jesus doesn't correct him. Jesus responds with, here's what you have to do. Twice we'll see here in Luke 10 that he talks about doing. He addresses the man's question of doing. The next thing we see is an important method of answering the question. And honestly, 
if there's something that I would consider the heart of this message, it's this right here. An important method of answering a question, Luke 10, 26. Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? We can't overlook this important method of Jesus in answering the question. What's written? Jesus asks. How do you read it? I think it's so important because this, this is still, I think, a primary answer of Jesus to us today. Mark, good question. What have I said about this in my word? Sammy, great question. What have I already said about this? I think it's a great question because Jesus doesn't change his mind regarding this. When, when he has said something in his word, he, he, he responds, I, I've, I've, I haven't changed my opinion on the matter. This is what I think. It's in my word. Jesus wants the man to answer for himself. And he wants to encourage the man to get the answer from Scripture. And I am certain of this. He wants the same for us. He wants us at times, in our, in our conversation with him, he's like, what do you think? What is my heart? What do I have to say about the matter? And he wants us to search Scripture for the answer. Everything comes so, so easy to us. We're, we're so used to so many conveniences. And you, you, you put a coin in the slot and you instantly get the, the satisfaction of whatever. We're a microwave society. Sometimes we get impatient on that 30-second button. We push it and like 27, 26, 20, ah, A lot of the questions we ask, I am certain of this. If we are truly listening, Jesus responds with, great question. I've actually answered this for you. What do I have to say about it in my word? You guys, for crying out loud, we got Google. I mean, honestly, we, we've, we can find, what does Jesus think about blank? And then don't, don't. Look for the scriptural tag, right? Look for, you know, what Matthew 6, you know, 33 says. Don't look at, well, this is what, you know, Joe Taylor from, you know, somewhere in Des Moines, Iowa has to say about it. Look to see what, what scripture it points you to and then read and go, okay. Yeah. If we're asking Jesus questions, we better be listening for answers, and we better be listening for this answer. Because I believe that Jesus commonly answers us with that question. Next, we have a truly, truly fantastic answer by this man. I kind of want us to relate to this man. I want us to relate with the flawed emotions, but I also want to relate with the fact that there is I mean, there's a hunger in there. There's a knowledge there. And he responds with an incredible answer. Verse 27, and the expert answered, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Let me back up one second. Jesus says, what's written in the law, how do you read it? Then he responds, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I mean, the brother nailed it. That answer is fantastic. That answer is insightful and it's, it's profound. And it's especially so because the Mosaic law, because the, the law that, that Moses established really doesn't talk that much about love. That's, that's not what Moses talks about. I mean, he, you know, in, in Leviticus, it talks about loving your neighbor. And then throughout Deuteronomy, 40 years after the law was given, we see talk about loving God. But his answer was just spot on. The scholar of the law is seeing something very profound about the law. He's seen exactly what Paul would say later, years later, decades later, when he wrote in, in Romans 13. In Romans 13, 8 through 10, Paul said this, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul was to write this years later. But this cynical expert of the law answered really profoundly, to Jesus. Love. The law points in the direction of love. There are about 2,000 verses of, of legislation, of lawmaking. But this lawyer appropriately discerned that the law took steps in the direction of love. Love God with everything. Love yourself, but love God more. Love your neighbor, but love God more. It's not complicated. Love God with everything. Love him with your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, your activities, your hobbies, your friendships, your relationships, your the things that, that he's given you stewardship over. Love him with everything. Love him deeply and richly and extravagantly. Love God. Love yourself, but love God more. You guys know what I mean by that? All right, teenagers again. Every now and then you've got to look up. Every now and then you've got to look up so I know you're paying attention to me. Then I don't have to walk over here to this edge. You know what I mean by that? Love yourself, but love God more. It means you've got to want God to have his way above all else. The enemy's always going to bring the temptation and the attacks of pride. Whether you want your way above everything else. I'm just saying we can't say we love God if we love ourselves more. We, can't, we certainly can't say Jesus is Lord of our life if we love ourselves more. 
we can't say Jesus is Lord of our lives if, if we're calling the shots and we don't let him have his way. Lord, I know your word says this. I know your word specifically says don't do this. But Lord, guess what? I'm doing it anyway because I love me more. Now, none of us would actually say that because that's very audacious. But that's what our actions say. That's what our actions say. This was the perfect answer then and this is the perfect answer now. The next thing we see is affirmation and instruction. We see an affirmation from Jesus and we see guidance. Verse 28, and Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. That's what Jesus said. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live a blessed life. Do this and you will live a joyful life. Do this and you will have peace and joy. Do this and the kind of life that you want to inherit now and start living now and not just wait until you're, you're dead. You want to walk in the inheritance of what God has for you now. You want to start doing that now? Do this. Start living this. When Jesus says these words, he was speaking truth. Love leads to life. Love leads to liveliness. It, it leads to a whole heart and a healthy heart. It leads to energy. Love is thrilling. Love is invigorating. Love allows us to live with a clear conscience. Love allows us to live with a light heart. Loving God, loving self, loving others. But guess what? None of this has anything to do with justification. But that's not what this man asked about. None of what I just said has anything to do with justification. The doing part, none of that has to do with with being saved. The justification, the being saved is done by Christ and Christ alone. And it's a completed work. He's already done it. We just have to believe. But what he's talking about is an inheritance that we can walk in now. That he wants us to walk in now. An inheritance of love. An inheritance of love where that our heart is not wrecked by anger. Where that our heart is not wrecked by fear. Where that our heart is not wrecked by jealousy or cynicism or anything else. See, we, we can come to the Lord in a place where we're vulnerable and we're transparent. And maybe there's ugliness and maybe there's fear and maybe there's pain and maybe there's cynicism. And we come to the Lord. And we get touched by the Lord. And we're reminded of his promises and his word. And we're changed. And we're not supposed to leave his presence the same way that we came in. We're not supposed to leave cynical. We're not supposed to leave angry. We're not supposed to leave fearful. Our dialogue with the Lord, when he speaks truth, it is supposed to penetrate our heart and allow us to walk in the inheritance of love. Do this and you will live. That's what Jesus said. It has nothing to do with salvation. I need us to grasp this. Do this and you will truly live. 
question. Who is fully capable of showing this type of selfless love? Jesus is assuming that the person who is capable of showing selfless love is the person that already believes in him. For those of us that have trusted in Jesus, we are capable of showing this type of selfless love. We're not perfect at it. We make mistakes. We blow it all the time. We're not perfect at it, but we're capable of it because we have Christ within us, and it is him who empowers us to love in this way. Jesus is going further than simply answering a question about how we take our first step into that experience of of God's kingdom. Jesus is laying it all out, saying it's about love. Inheriting eternal life refers to entering into everything that God wants to give us. God wants us to walk in this inheritance now. It is the practice of love that will lead to our richly laying hold of the wealth of inheritance life. What do we see next? One more loaded question. The brother could not leave good enough alone. Verse 29, and he, the religious scholar, desiring to what? To justify himself. To justify his own actions. To justify his own preferences. To justify his own love of self. Said to Jesus, and who exactly is my neighbor? I love the fact that Jesus knows the motives. He discerns the motives, but he also understands that these questions need answers. That that flawed people are seeking him, and they need answers. So we see once again Jesus' reply. And this conversation between Jesus and this expert, this scholar, this lawyer. It leads us into what what may be, I believe it probably is the most famous parable that Jesus ever tells. And that's the parable of the Good Samaritan. I, I think the two most known parables are the parable of the, the Good Samaritan and the parable of the prodigal son. Both are right here in Luke. You know, we're we're seeing in Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and then five chapters later in verse in chapter 15, the parable of the the lost. The prodigal son meaning the the lost son. The lost coin he, he unpacks before that. Interesting to me is this fact. Both those parables. They're they're bound together by this unique string of inheritance. 
this this man in real life, this isn't part of the parable, this the scholar is asking Jesus about how do I inherit eternal life? I want my inheritance and I want it now. And then a little while later, Jesus tells a story about a son going to the father saying, I want my inheritance and I want it now. Interesting, that's just something to study. If it, if it just kind of stirs you, then study that. Many, if not most, if not all, of you have good questions for the Lord. Fair questions. Questions that are probably not asked with the motive of tripping up Jesus. And if you haven't heard an answer from Jesus to those questions, with absolute confidence I say this right now, Jesus is providing you with an answer today. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm telling you right now, the answer he's providing today is what is written? What have I said about this in my word? There's there's such rich truth in his word. You guys, we've only spent time on four different verses today. Luke 10, 25, 26, 27, 28, and then I just referenced 29 at the very end. These are challenging times. I know that. And God knows that. And this world is saturated with a ton of fear. It is saturated with a ton of anger and selfishness. So let me just ask you, how how are you coping with this? How are you coping with fear? How are you coping with anger? How are you coping with, with selfishness? How are you doing at loving your neighbor? Not the likable neighbor. Not the likable neighbor. How are you doing at loving yourself and evicting anger out of your heart? How are you doing with loving yourself enough to not allow fear to make home in your heart and to spend time with Jesus because we know in his word that perfect love casts out all fear. Jesus is perfect love. So if you're battling with fear, you spend time with Jesus. Hear me. He can handle your cynicism. He can handle your sarcasm. He can handle whatever state of ugly you come to him with. But when we come to him, we better come truly desiring an answer and not just wanting to stand and to be seen and to be heard, but to to be answered by the only one who's got true answers. For those of you who are struggling with loving these days, Jesus has an answer, and he has some guidance for you. Do this, and you will live. Love me, and you will live. Love yourself, and then love 
your neighbor as you love yourself. But love me more. And you will truly live. For those of you who are are losing the struggle with love, let me remind you, lovingly remind you of an amazing present he gave us. Repentance. I love repentance. We all should love repentance. What an amazing present. What an amazing gift that we get to be faced with what we think and what we were doing and what God thinks and what he wants. And we get to repent. We get to change our minds. We get to have our actions changed. We get to to grab a hold of him and his power takes us just through this awesome cooperation that we say, I repent of that. I change my mind. Lord, I look to you. I look away from that. Lord, I give that to you. Lord, I give it to you. And I I truly do want what you want. God, I, I truly want what you want. It's repentance. It's awesome. If you're a crier, cry while you're doing it. If you're not a crier, don't cry while you're doing it. Be you. But be authentic responsive to a loving God who's always knocking. There may be someone listening right now, maybe in this place or maybe participating in the service online and you don't know justification. You are not in right standing with God because of sin. Because of sin and because of rebellion and it's separated you from the love of God. I want you to know you can know Jesus right now. Right now, you can know justification. You can know righteousness and right standing with God by calling upon his name, Jesus. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Jesus, I'm lost. Jesus, I believe you. You are my only means of hope, my only means of love, my only means of salvation. The Bible says we do that. We call upon the name of Jesus. We're saved. We're justified just like that. Yeah, there's, there's some cleaning up to be done. Yeah, there's some changing of clothes. Yeah, there's some exchanges that God wants to make. Yeah, there's some things he's asking you to give. Absolutely. And we walk that out in sanctification. If you don't know Jesus, just call out right now where you are. Jesus, I give, I give myself to you. I give my preferences to you and I give my life to you. Next week, we're going to jump right into that story, that parable of the Good Samaritan. If you want to read ahead, don't, you know, it's it's not going to spoil anything. Read ahead. Read the story. Ask the Holy Spirit to unpack some of these things. Show up ready and and hungry because it's, it's awesome. The theme is love. Today's message was the inheritance of love. Next week it's going to be the extravagance of love. As we see in this story that Jesus tells.